Stand-up comic joke it up one time. Fun day. Fun day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. There we go. All right. This is the podcast Let's Talk About Sets with Jeff McBride. That's me and Harrison Tweed. I am him. This is a show in which we go full comedy nerd about the craft of stand-up comedy, and we analyze it in all its sciency goodness. Our guest today is Jay Welch. This is the brand of my content. <laughs> <laughs> and the theme today is honest sadness. Let's start things off with a bit that Jay picked called I Want to Win by Karen Kilgariff from her 2014 album Live at the Bootleg. Cut the cricket. (laughs) I want to win. I just want to win. I want to crush you till you're So if you don't like it, you can fuck you Cause I want her money, her glory, her baby, her dog, and her job And if one more person tells me I have to watch Modern Family I am going to buy that gun I've had my eye on Because that is the world, and that's how it works. Every heart's broken, and everyone's jerks. And money don't change it, drugs can't erase it, you can't blog it away. And if one more person asks me what I've been working on lately, Oh, wow. That's great a pick, great. Man. That's, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah, I like her a lot. Yeah. That's a really lovely voice. Uh, yeah. Why did you, uh, why did you pick that bit? Um, well, I like that uh, song a lot. I like, uh, the, that performer a lot. I think it's a good fit for the topic. Um, uh, it's especially the first time you listen to it. I think it, it catches you off guard how sad it is mm-hmm. and also catches you off guard how honest she's being 
while she's yeah. sad. Yeah. And at the same time, she's, you can be those things on stage and it's a melt and it can be a meltdown. Right. Yeah. But if you uh, control it and shape it and channel it, it's, uh, it becomes not a meltdown, but it becomes a very powerful experience where mm. the laughter comes from the audience out of the audience being emotionally very open. Yeah. So that amplifies the force of the funniness because it's attached to this and coming from this moment of vulnerability, not just in the performer, but in the audience. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is very effective rhetorically. And then also like, uh, really cool and really funny and really sad. And so it's a lot of different, you know, I promised myself I wouldn't say all the feels, so I'm not going to, but it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-emotional experience if you can yeah. channel it and control it the right way. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I really felt like, um, the way she, when she said, uh, I, I don't remember the exact lyrics. She said, I got, I loved a boy who didn't love me. Mm -hmm. And then I took it out. Yeah. I, took that I put out the out. next one through the ringer. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I met it with the three. Yeah. And I didn't, uh, I didn't really see that coming. Um, I, I thought it was going to be more delve into the, the boy that didn't love her mm -hmm. kind of thing. But I love that because I feel like that's, uh, that's basically every relationship you have after you get your heart broken. And every heart's broken and everyone's jerks, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Line. And there's like, it's, it's sad, but it's, aware and it's compassionate yeah. at the same like she's not denying her experience she's not denying no. the other people's pain it's it's very aware and alert yeah. and it's holding all of that feeling but in this controlled shaped way yeah that uh it's it's really wonderful i love it how yeah. um how would you describe the controlled shaped way she's doing it well emotionally like there's Especially if you've seen a lot of comedy, especially if you've seen newer comedians, but it can happen mm -hmm. with more established comedians and more successful comedians as well. When you talk about things of emotional intensity, there's a few different ways that can get, that can become a bad audience experience. Yeah. Right. And one of those ways mm -hmm. is uh, if, <laughs> if it's not, if the, if the performer is just so in the moment mm -hmm. and so in the feeling that there's not even room for the audience to be in the feeling. Yeah. And then you're just watching a person who's not even interacting with the audience. They're just, uh, <clears throat> obsessed with their emotional world in their own head mm -hmm. yeah, or obsessed. Sure. But, but there's like a version of it where the meltdown is the audience is just like almost at a zoo yeah. where they're, in a, they're, <laughs> they're observing, but they're not watching a show. Yeah. They're watching someone be a spectacle, not someone put on a spectacle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. So when there's that that version, it can be emotionally intense. And that sometimes that happens in just people who are newer at it. And then, you know, like uh, that. there's a part of what happened when Kramer had the Kramer flop, yeah. the, the flame out that he had, mm -hmm. uh, was he lost control of those emotions mm -hmm. yeah. and he was, I'm hurt and I'm going to attack. Yeah. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be, although mm -hmm. he's, you know, obviously relatively yeah. new with, within the world of stand up, but yeah. So that's part of the not control is not having, uh, 
the uh, control of the performance as a performance, but then there's also control of the emotions in a, I have thought about this and I've handled this. Yeah. I'm not presenting to you uh, my experience yeah. just as a thing that's worthy because it's my experience. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so, and then there's, well, there's right. a bit of distance from it where it's like you're, you're seeing work that has that emotion in it, but you're not seeing that person while they're drowning. Mm-hmm. And then there, it's also done in a way where the audience feels comfortable with it, I guess, or engaged by it. Like I have jokes where I talk about sad things in my life. And even if I'm not having like a meltdown when I'm doing that joke, even if I'm yeah. just controlled in the moment, if I'm not, some of those jokes, if I'm not presenting them as if I'm fine with the experience, Mm-hmm. the audience doesn't feel like they have permission to also be fine with this experience. And then it feels like a plane without a ship a little, or a plane without a pilot a little bit. That really, um, it's funny cause we were listening to what, what, uh, when, for the listeners, it's, it will be on uh, part two of the storytelling episode mm-hmm. with Mike guild. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I brought in, he brought, he brought in a story he did at his show. Okay. That's about, um, this bit, this epic morning that, that happened that with his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told a story that it was the first night I had done stand up since, uh, me and my girlfriend broke up. And the first two times I did it, it was material on what was happening and how I was feeling and what, what, how people were interacting with me because of the breakup and stuff like that. And I realized, and it was my third set of that night. Mm. And the first, the first one I did really like, it was just kind of like, I didn't even mean to like have like a morose energy. I just like kind of like was morose and it did well. Like the material was doing well, but it was kind of like, it was, it was more like, there's sometimes you do material, especially at an open mic, because all the people are comics and a lot of people know you mm. where they were listening to me as friends kind mm-hmm. of. Then the last mic I did, though, I opened with, uh, so I'm going through a breakup mm-hmm. and uh, but, so but can we just pretend I'm over it and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and I, I said, he's, he's cheating. Yeah. 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 Like, I, and there's, I could see that going well or badly. It, yeah. went, it went really well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, we'll like pretend I'm one of those comics. That's mm-hmm. like, you guys ever break up. And like, this is just general breakup material. Like, don't, mm-hmm. like, let's not uh, like r- think of me as doing better than I am. Mm-hmm. And that's you having control over the emotion and mm-hmm. letting the audience be in the emotion, but not overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And right. telling them like, this will be okay. And so let's just pretend we're in that place right now. I also love just the very beginning of that up top, just super fast. Just, just cut the crickets. I love that. There's a very like savvy about being savvy kind of thing to that. How do you mean? We added a cricket sound and cut it yeah yeah she's she's a little bit if she's she's it's the show not tell thing yeah it's a fun joke and it also is over quickly in a way that where if you don't get it you you don't feel i hope too thrown by it yeah yeah i'm like wait can you repeat what you said i didn't really understand the. well hopefully yeah there's there's a way that can really bog a thing down yeah 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 oh yeah so often when someone doesn't understand a joke i just want to be like well let me go to the other jokes yeah. Where I tell those because the part where I explain this joke to you is not going to be funny and it's going to be longer. 
Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's like I don't want to be playing baseball and I swing and I miss, and then you're like, well, let's talk about that for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, motherfucker, I got several pitches coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's fucking see how I do with those. Yeah. There's an element that Karen employs here. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a happy, happy song. Oh, it's not. But there is an element, a tone of almost flippant upbeat that allows for the things she's saying. I could hear exactly the same words to a different kind of music Hmm. going very, like feeling completely differently. Everybody's jerks. Everybody's like, I could just hear yeah. That it's and that tone, that sort of that contrast between uh, here, here's the sort of melancholic uh, content, and here's my upbeat way of presenting it to you. And it's, it creates it's not the comedy. nihilism. It's just not saying everything's garbage. Uh-huh. She's saying things are bad and yeah. acknowledging that they're bad. Yeah. Engaging with and reckoning with that is yeah. how you start. One of my favorite quotes uh, uh, about comedy versus drama is that uh, drama shows us what, how we could be as humans, and comedy helps us live with what we are. Mm. I like that a lot. Yeah. And so, and here's, that's what she's doing. Like, she's acknowledging um, her shadow self for everybody else, and in the, in the distance that she creates here... Uh, she's able to make it her shadow universally accessible. It's the accessibility thing is I think an interesting part of it with this, because a decent amount of the song is very specific to the emotional experiences of someone in show business. Right. Um, Right. Which in some ways makes it more effective for people who are in that world. And then also for people who are not in that world may make it more opaque. Like, I do not know Earth Cafe as a reference. No. Uh, I'm, uh, I assume it's like a place in Los Angeles that has some sort of cultural meaning. And who the hell is Tina Fey? Well, that's, that's your problem. But... <laughs> that's your, you should study more. <laughs> like he doesn't even know Jimmy Fallon's biography. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but, yeah, so, so like the, the, there's some of the references in the ocean experiences are like maybe specific to that. And to some extent, I sort of don't know how that works outside of it, but a lot of it is not specific to that. Mm-hmm. And the, the larger impulse of wanting to win, like that's very honest yeah. and that's universal. And people feel that in a lot of places mm-hmm. and it's rarely phrased so yeah. baldly and also so baldly in a way where it still is, Again, coming from this controlled place, it's not yeah. primal what she's saying. Yeah. It's her conscience singing in a way. She so she feels it, but that's so right. It, it mm-hmm. is shaped and controlled and and packaged in yeah. a way that's not um, that's not doesn't make people reel back and their defenses come back up. Yeah. Someone, because she's flying the plane. Yeah. It's, yeah, this is a person who's in charge of what they're presenting. Uh huh. A hundred percent. And uh, I do. I love this too. Her, the biggest laugh and cheer she gets are in response to her saying, if one more person asks me what I'm working on lately, I don't know if I'll ever stop crying. Mm-hmm. And the word crying, everybody starts laughing and cheering. Yeah. I love that. That, that, the, that, that we, it's one of the most beautiful things about comedy to me is that, is that it lets us deal with our emotional pain yeah. in because her honest sadness is, to some extent, their honest sadness. Mm-hmm. And so that 
becomes then a bond and yeah. uh, uh, almost, yeah, I don't know what I want to say alliance or not, but it becomes a, v- a very real connection. I mean, underneath all of this, mm-hmm. I think, is jealousy, right? Oh, and that's part of what she's doing, for sure. Right. That's part of what she's feeling. Right, right. And also the fact that she's honest about jealousy is... Mm-hmm. And that, again, is also part of... I, I don't know how much of that can be separated from the entertainment industry part of it, but it's it's a thing that people very rarely talk about. And so the fact... That, like, I mean, saying a person saying they hate Tina Fey yeah. is shocking yeah. within that world even yeah. though she's such a no-name like i don't even know <laughs> again i can't help you with that but <laughs> that i mean it's like so karen kilgariff uh and i i, I don't know her personally i i'm a, a fan of her for her work in general i'm, mm-hmm. I'm a, a very much an admirer but i don't know her personally uh uh but she was part of the uh alt comedy scene in the 90s in los angeles mm-hmm. and so like she was working at this and part of a group that was, you know, moving and, mm. and developing and flourishing at a time when Tina Fey was not yet famous. Yeah. And she's mm. uh, in certain ways, in certain places, like you could see a comparison between like if there's only two, sh- if there's only one spot in the golden heavens of show business, yeah. they could see someone being like, well, Tina Fey got this spot for whatever this demographic yeah. thing is. And for her to be that candid about that, that for me is the most powerful thing in the whole thing is that yeah. that's an emotion she's saying publicly it, and that she's in charge of it while she's doing it. And yeah. that she understands, I, I think you can tell from, and maybe I'm wrong about this. I apologize. I certainly hope <laughs> it would be, I can't imagine Carrie Kilgariff is still listening if she ever even was, but <laughs> uh it's very honest about like the hate, the, the hate Tina Fey is coming from a place of, of resentment mm-hmm. and a like not Envy, yeah. jealousy mm-hmm. and to be and she a seems successful well person. studied in Tina. She was like, I want her well, baby. I mean, like, I mean, it's it, weird that, that Jeff doesn't know about Tina Fey and are we still <laughs> continue to keep this pretense. She's story, a, a comedian. She is a comedian. Okay. For those of you who are not familiar with Tina Fey, I'm just so just to get Jeff on the same page as the rest of mm-hmm. us. She was the, uh, she was a writer for SNL who became, uh, an anchor on Weekend Update, which is a SNL. Jeff is a television. <laughs> okay, it stands for Saturday Night Live, and it happens on Saturday nights. Uh, okay, it's a sketch, very successful sketch comedy show. Uh, Should I check it out? Yeah, if you haven't, I would recommend it. <laughs> All right, uh, you could, you could, uh, you'll. You I tr- no, I really trust your hours, your taste. Of, hours of entertainment. Oh. Right before you, uh, but it's recent. Yeah, yeah, it's still it's a going concern. It's funny because Jeff is such a Mad TV fan. You'd think that <laughs> you'd think he'd have. Oh yeah, Mad laugh, TV so. was Tina Fey on Mad TV. I mean, I can't rule it out. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I would, I would know. Huh. It seems like you might. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, they can't all be Mrs. Swan, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's, a, it's an emotion that is not discussed in comedy too much. Of the like, you're peers with someone, and then all of a sudden you're not. Not it's not that you're not peers at all, but there's a version. There are people in whose eyes you have stopped being peers. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Of course. You're, you're contemporary. So people who are looking then, at it in certain, in a terms of how many of 300 million people know you mm-hmm. way, like are not looking at you as peers necessarily. And I don't think that that, um, that element of it is, is, uh, okay. Everybody can, has been in a position where they're, 
they have a contemporary in some way or another in their job, in school or whatever. And they've felt, and then watch that person become better in their, whatever arena that matters. Yeah, I mean, to them. that can happen. For that's, sure. that's you, everyone is bested in life. That, that is a, just a truism, but, it, the, but the amount of fame that can be tied to that in, uh, in entertainment is, yeah. is considerable. Yeah. It's and a, so, it's a magnet. It's a, it's magnitudes. It's really uh, magnified by quite a bit in show business, but the universal piece here and the thing that people can just like rally behind is that emotion Mm -hmm. is that honest sadness. Yeah. And it's because of the taboo that gives it the charge to express it and to be expressing it in this way where it's clear that the hating Tina Fey is not about Tina Fey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and at least that's the way I read it. And again, I I don't know, Karen, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze her, but it's what comes across in the song. I had no, I didn't know her at all. Karen. I mean, it's, uh, or Tina. And I really uh, (laughs) feel like I should check both of them out. Thanks for playing that. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Uh, what I'd like to do is talk just a little bit about Jay. Okay. Jay used to be a lawyer. And now, and now he is a fantastic stand-up comedian. Uh, um, thank you. It's very nice of you to say. Thank you for coming on the show. Jay Welch is a contributor to the popular website, Some E-Cards. This is, uh, Jeff is reading my bio. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I absolutely am. Uh, his comedy writing has been published by McSweeney's, Slate, You Interview, and Busted Tees. He performs at, at, at comedy clubs all over New York City. He is an absolutely fantastic writer. Also a wonderful roast joke writer. I've been at a number of things where he has done uh, quite a job roasting. I, I love I love your work with that. Thank you. So I, I have a few questions for you. So Maryland to New York, lawyer. I remember one time we we were walking and the first time we ever connected at all, you were... Uh, we were commenting on starting comedy later. Um, I don't remember specifically that conversation, but I, I, I did. It mattered so much to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like you lost a lot of credibility by not knowing who Tina Fey was. <laughs> and no, um, <laughs> look, so I started, I started comedy after I'd been a lawyer for a little bit. And so that there was a bit of a lateness, uh, in starting that way. Uh, and that's, uh, how old were you when you started? Uh, I don't recall us uh, beginning conversations this candidly before. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> no. uh, I started when I was a little older, as I said. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lady never tells. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. An elegant lady. Um, but so I, I'm still like admitted to the bar. Mm-hmm. Like I hold on to that. Like in, in case of emergency break class, I like get renew every yeah. couple years. But but I'm not. Uh, uh, but yeah, I was doing that for a while before I became a comedian. To me, watching the kind of comedy that you do and the, the writing that you employ, which is incisive and out of left field, I, it, your, your punchlines catch me off guard over and over again. Thank you. I wonder, was your mind already in that vein before you went to lawyer school? Or did being a lawyer for a while help you hone and, and shape your ability to think so quickly and so logically? I think the way lawyers use their brains is a lot of, there's a lot of precision. There's a lot of value on knowing what words exactly mean and also what words suggest mm-hmm. and also the gap between the two, mm. right? Like what we t- when you like in English class and they talk about denotation versus connotation, right? So being a lawyer is about knowing how to be very precise about denotation, mm-hmm. like very, very precise about denotation, but it's also 
to some extent about knowing how to use connotation mm -hmm. uh, to uh, convey a feeling as opposed to just a meaning yeah um, or an impression as opposed to just a statement yeah. um, and so the there's a lot of precision in that yeah. which there are ways to use in other forms of writing and in other forms of using words, including yeah. stand up and other kinds of comedy. I feel like uh, it's funny that you, because you're so meticulous with your writing and your performance of sometimes. Your I feel like it's, uh, you're, you're one of the most natural writers I've ever seen perform. Uh, these are all very nice compliments. I, mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I, will, I feel like you, you should hear it. I, I'm just worried I'm that sure the microphone is going to hear too so much of my blushing feedback. <laughs> yeah, I have the blush gain turned down. So yeah. it's actually... The blush monitor is on low. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Whether it be... Because I've gone to... You run a great mic uh, on Sundays. Mm -hmm. That's... It, it has everything... There's the everything was, going against you to create a way. What? It, it, the word great within the context of mics, by the way. Yeah. Oh, but what's also <laughs> funny. It's like, I feel like everything is going against you to make that a great mic. And yet you create a great mic. Out of it. <laughs> it's like the bartender will be like angry like, to be there. So mad. It depends on the bartender. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are great. So some angry to be there. Some sweethearts. It is, it, it is uh, the equivalent of uh, working at McDonald's and being forced to clean the bathroom. That's yeah. your, that's it. You, that's the job you always they, get. It's, it's, I feel like that's how the those, bartenders feel there. about poor ladies. Cause they know none of the comics are going to buy mine. Yeah. Or anything. It's an open mic is not, is mostly attended by open mic comedians yeah. who, especially if they go a lot. I mean, yeah. They're probably not going to spend a ton of money on drinks. For sure. We had a guest on here who, well, my favorite quote from the whole thing was that his first experience with open mic comedy was he was out with his friends and open mic started and ruined their evening. Yeah. That's yeah. Booming. <laughs> well, that sounds, that sounds uh, like they didn't learn about how you can leave a bar. Yeah. Uh, that's really, really, really. <laughs> that whole evening. Oh, how terrible that that open mic followed them around from place to place <laughs> as they tried to have better experiences. <laughs> What do we do? <laughs> I could see how understanding the true meaning of a word and how it can come off and how it can, uh, and what it can, uh, you know, oh God, you put it so perfectly. And now it, uh, this is me showcasing how much more meticulous. So, well, can, yeah. I, can I use like a metaphor? I sometimes yeah, yeah. use when I talk we, about They're allowed. I mean, I gave you the list of things that are allowed and not, and metaphor is totally in the set of allowed. So go for it. Thank you. <laughs> So uh, one of the metaphors I use when I talk about denotation and connotation sometimes is like a, a good way to think about it is denotation, the precise, like legally what a word means mm -hmm. is like a toothpick. Mm -hmm. And then connotation is like a marshmallow on the toothpick. Oh, okay. Right? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a much sort of softer, vaguer, not fixed mm -hmm. set of associations that are happening around a precise, mm -hmm. specific narrow what a thing means yeah and mm. so uh a lot of times one of one of the things you do get in, in law school specifically and then to a lesser extent also being a lawyer is uh, an education and practice and training with how often what we think of the toothpick is really the marshmallow mm. oh, yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and uh confusing or conflating those two and some of being a, a comedian 
there's parts of being a comedian that can be like sort of like a sleight of hand magician, but for words yeah. uh-huh. where you're like, oh, this person thought they were biting down on the marshmallow, but really all they got is toothpick. I mean, yeah. that's backwards, but, yeah. but you get the idea, mm-hmm. right? So they you, thought they were going to pick their tooth with a toothpick and they, then they, they got a marshmallow. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's like a sleight of hand, but yeah. with words instead of cards. Uh-huh. There can be some of that with stand up. Well, a, a good example here with the sort of honest sadness that Karen employed was, uh, when she said you can't blog it away, right? I mean, that's wordplay a little bit, uh, but on the sadness, it, like it's, I think it's a very, very different tool than that sort of sleight of hand stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean they're not both tools, but they're very different. And sometimes almost at cross purposes. Yeah. Man. Like if you're, you if what you're trying to convey is a, uh, powerful raw emotion in yeah. a controlled way. I mean, you want to be precise in your language when you do it, yeah. but your goal is not misdirection. Yeah. It's direction. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that the wordplay is a sleight of hand stuff, uh, where it's like, Oh, you didn't see this wrinkle coming. Yeah. That's a, it's a, just a fundamentally different way of working with an audience. Mm hmm. Yeah, what, what I was trying to get out with that statement mm-hmm. is um, uh, when you said when she said she, you can't blog it away, yeah. um, the denotation of that, of course, is you can't write about it and make it go away, mm-hmm. right, uh, to a bunch of people. Um, but the connotation there is the wider context of so many people who are trying to uh, exercise their demons via blogs, mm-hmm. how to deal with their sadness through blogs and how that's become such a common thing. That's the, that's the marshmallow of that whole thing. And it causes, I think that sort of laughter of recognition of, Oh yeah, a lot of people are doing that with blogs as opposed to if she would have said, you can't write it, write it away. It's more specific to say blog and, and, and carries and, and carries wider meaning um, in its speci- in its specificity. So that's what, that's why I mentioned that. Sure. that. And there's also something fun about the celebrate uh, the, the like, pleasure of language for language's sake mm-hmm. of, of using words in unexpected and vivid ways. Yeah, totally. Which again is like a very dull reading of a very interesting <laughs> argument that someone else made. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Hey, if you're digging what we're doing here and you think someone else would benefit from it, please tell them about us. If you're listening on the podcast app on your iPhone, just look in the lower right corner. There's three dots. Tap that, then share episode. You can also tap the cartoon image of Harrison and me in the app if you have the episode selected. And then you'll see all the show notes that I painstakingly write. Did you know that that shit was even there? I've even added some easy Facebook and Twitter sharing links. Or if you're an Android person, all you got to do is just simply do whatever the hell Android people do for that. I don't know. (laughs) And one more thing. I would love for the podcast to pay for itself. I'm going to keep doing it regardless. But... If you're feeling grateful and generous, head to Patreon and throw us a few bucks. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. So let's play a little bit of Jay's material. Okay. Yeah. This was recorded at the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City in 2015. This is on the Dark Spots show. And Jay, is there anything you'd like to say before we play it? Okay, so the Dark Spots was a show which it definitely is very much all about uh, to harder experiences and... Yeah. and uh, emotionally uncomfortable topics and the particular episode of this show was about uh, addiction Mm -hmm. and i went on uh, and talked about uh, my problems with uh, food Mm -hmm. and eating too much food and so i was uh, doing this bit in that context the larger show people had different kinds of addiction i think some people talked about 
heroin or mm-hmm. other kinds of drugs or substances. There's a lot of honest sadness in, in addiction. Uh, there yeah. for sure can be. Yeah. And I was on there when I was not uh, talking about heroin, which is not happily, which has happily not been a problem for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I was talking. You're honestly happy about that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't even, sometimes I feel like I take it for granted. Um, <laughs> you can our, enjoy it as an hors d'oeuvre. It's not. <laughs> I sort of think of it as like an amuse vein. Wait, yeah. I don't know that. What, what does that mean? Amuse vein? We just talked about explaining jokes. Ah, <laughs> wait, it's, I don't know the word. Okay. Well, it's, so, you, you know, the, the term amuse bouche, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that means to, to like amuse the mouth. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> I could have worked it out for myself if, if I'd had the time. All right. First, See, this is not first my goal. Tina. Is, now this my goal just, is not to make people feel dumb. Although the Tina Fey thing is on you. You can't make me feel dumb. Only I can make me feel dumb. I am responsible. But if for I my can be holding a gun that's smoking while you do it, if I'm holding the stupid bullets. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to like me. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, Most Jay, I, I like you despite you. All the time. (laughs) You are so good at backhanded compliments. Uh, Oh, please, please. I I felt like there was some forehand in that. (laughs) (laughs) So if you don't remember, I set this uh, uh, bit up several minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) And you're about to hear it. Here we go. All right, here it comes. Look, I'm not not trying to tell other people what their addictions are. I'm not trying to be like, I have the worst of whatever or anything. But I will say, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in this room right now who has an eight favorite Popeyes in Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) It's on 125th. And that's actually not enough information to tell you, uh, because my fifth favorite Popeyes is also on 125th. Like my fifth favorite one, I would recommend. It's a one on Twenty Fifth and Frederick Douglass, and that's way better than the one on the East Side, uh, where, like, you know how when you go into Popeyes and you see people of all walks of uh, life and they have different jobs and stuff. Uh, the Popeyes at One Twenty Fifth and uh, Lexington is really the only one where you see paramedics like while they're working. <laughs> <laughs> Like other ones, you'll see paramedics like off duty. <laughs> that one, they're busier. Uh, All right. That is. <laughs> that is honest sadness. Yes, that's really. I literally made a chart. That's true. That. That is so funny. Wait, how did you make the chart? Like what? What on? I went through my <clears throat> the Popeyes in Manhattan by how much I liked them, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, that one's eighth. No one got this. It's literally eighth. <laughs> What's your number one? It's in Chinatown. Oh, okay. And it's, first of all, uh, very fast service. Uh-huh. Uh, second of all, the TVs, they have TVs on, but they're always set to New York One, which is an emotionally neutral channel. <laughs> and uh, there's a, the soda machine is outside, so you can get refills under your choice or not. Yeah, yeah. And they, ne- they never remember you. Oh, they never. <laughs> 
<laughs> so strong recommend. Yeah, that's a bit. Yeah. Oh my god. You get the anonymity you're really hoping for. Yeah. There's other Popeyes where they like recognize you, and that's less good. Can you can you tell me what do you mean emotionally neutral channel? Have you you've seen New York One? No. Okay. New Again, York, hey, look, no, my, the fine. depths that's of my fine. ignorance it's less should well not known. surprise you anymore. I'm not trying to whatever. It's less well known than Tina Fey, uh, <laughs> so I shouldn't be surprised. But, uh, New York One is a cable channel. Mm-hmm. If you have the New York uh, City cable package, like there's literally a channel. It's the show in the morning called like Reading the Papers. Where they'll be like, okay, but this was in the New York Times today. Mm-hmm. And they just read what was in the New York Times. <laughs> and they'll be like, all right, now the Daily News. And they'll read what's in the Daily News. <laughs> it's like the kind of place where uh, they'll have panels. Sh- it's like very municipal mm-hmm. and New York focused. So they have like. I am uh, uh, sad I asked. Okay. So, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was not what I was going for. So when you were writing this bit and. Um, you brought it on stage as, as, as we said in the theme, this is honest sadness um, yeah. with your addiction with food. So what was in your mind when you were said, okay, I want to do this. I want to make fun of this. Um, I want to do this in a way that doesn't alienate people, that brings them into it without bringing their guard up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that process like for you? Well, I mean, it's sort of all those things you said, right? I mean, I, it's a, it helps that that show, the context is is a show where people are talking about tough stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the audience is primed in that way. Yeah. Um, they know what they're getting going in. And it also, to some extent helps if I'm a less emotionally intense thing on a really emotionally intense thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, being addicted to garbage food is, it's not a great thing. I don't recommend it, but it's less of a, a dark topic than being addicted to schedule one, opioids yeah or i'm probably using those words imprecisely but being addicted to some sort of you know life potentially life ending substance in a like Mm -hmm. very illegal way and yet it still it still is um should have just said heroin (laughs) just then i should have just said heroin you want to just soundbite it i want to say just say heroin (laughs) just no you just say the word heroin i'll cut it back in for you i'll believe everything else Heroin. I'm going to put heroin over the Tina Fey stuff so it just doesn't know. What <laughs> Not having is. said heroin just then will be the death of me. <laughs> I think you do a masterful job of talking about something that is, um, that, that is, that is sad for you mm-hmm. um, and, letting, and letting people in that world for a moment. And yes, the audience was primed, it sounds like, because of that show. Uh, but you also do it, I think one of the... I hope, my hope is that they've had that experience. They haven't had that experience, but they've had that pain. Yeah. Right. And so they get a, a new specific story mm-hmm. that then connects to their own personal thing. So you get the emotional impact and then you also get the visual or the, not the visual, but like the the experiential thing of learning something new mm-hmm. while also feeling something old. And, yeah. and you you do it in a way that I think using a technique that is um, when done well is so brilliant, which is. Uh, you, instead of saying exactly the thing, I eat lots of garbage food. I'm addicted to garbage food. What you said was, here is the extent, here is a a way in which it presents itself, um, in this almost like, uh, in this, um, uh, 
uh, what did you say? I'm the only one here who has a list of their eight favorite Popeyes. I don't even say I'm the only one. I'm pretty sure. I say I'm pretty sure. Right. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. I'm the only person in this room. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and so, like, room. in this room is like a bit of a rhetorical mm-hmm. technique of making it feel more immediate. Us. Yeah. And Us. more thought through, which it also, like, it is, but it's also mm-hmm. like a little bit of a magician, mm-hmm. subtle guiding. Yeah. How so? Well, I'm framing it in a specific way to make it feel like they're not just, I'm not the only person. I'm the only person in this room. Uh-huh. You're aware of being in a room. It feels like more of a specific conversation with you, the listener, than it does uh, seem like me just putting my ideas out into the world yeah. in a omnidirectional way. It makes it a little more toka, mm-hmm. to- targeted at the audience. And it also, I mean, or another way to say that maybe uh, is it makes it about them us it's not everyone it's us right here this tribe this moment mm-hmm. yeah immediately yeah sure. it becomes the more, hopefully more specific experience in that way mm-hmm. um it, it does limit it once you're listening to it outside the room a little bit but uh-huh. you know not hopefully it doesn't become an overwhelming barrier yeah. it's a show don't tell thing of like saying you have a problem with garbage food which I, it's not that i don't say that on a longer thing but mm-hmm. um it's a demonstration it's an outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual uh angst oh my god that is yeah. just i want to bottle that i was I, I just <laughs> just quoting from the wedding vow type stuff it's a good it's i i i, I like that kind of framing yeah uh dig it and then and then the next thing you do in it too is you continue to split the hair like that you you, you continue to I, I didn't even give you enough information to tell you which one yeah. is my favorite thank you uh and that, that I, I i sort of have mixed feelings about that line because it is true, like there's one at 125th and Frederick Douglass, and there's one at 125th in Lexington, that, mm-hmm. and it's a different Popeye season. So mm-hmm. it, it seemed a little funny to me, and then it also yeah. seemed, oh, this is a, a, you know, an experience other people maybe haven't had this ranking in this way. Yeah. You show don't tell through this whole thing. I hope so. I mean, I, but I also, like, it, I don't want to oversell it. I, I, like, I listen to that bit, and I think that, that bit could be better than it is. Great. That's wonderful. But, I, I love it. However, can I, can I fanboy over it? Okay. Am I allowed? I'm not, I, I'm I not telling it. you not to. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't pick a bit I was ashamed of. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the, you, you show don't tell through the whole thing. It's the, 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 the next move is so good where uh, you, instead of saying, you know, you, you go, it's the only, it, you, you can... I don't know exactly how you phrased it, but you get to see paramedics. Well, so let's while talk a little working. bit about the 125th thing okay. for a second. So I'm not sure how much that play, that maybe it was like a reference that for some people works and some people doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's like, thing, I wouldn't have said that. I, I think there's a funniness in it being on 125th Street. And I think there's a funniness in that not being enough information. Mm-hmm. But I also wouldn't say it if it wasn't literally true, which mm-hmm. it is literally true. Because if I was saying it as a joke, then it's just racist mm-hmm. because Popeye's yeah. is a chicken place and 125th Street is in Harlem. And yeah. so there's an association yeah. with black people and uh, chicken that some people make. And I mean, other people have made jokes about this in other ways. Mm-hmm. I, I think Joe Mandy has the best version of this, which is where he says, yeah, fucking everybody loves fried chicken. Yeah. yeah. And everyone likes it's great. Yeah. And it's insane to think that it's like a stereotype. Of course, black people like fried chicken. They're people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, that's not exactly his thing, but it's. Yeah. But there is that sort of association. Yeah. And so, to some extent, I am playing on that association. Uh, but it is also literally true. Yeah. That two of those eight on my list are on 125th Street. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. worst one is the, the the eighth favorite one is that one that it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, also the fact that. 
so the, I hope the fact that it's literally true takes makes it a defensible mm-hmm. form of humor. I, I mean, that's my hope. Mm-hmm. And then also the fact that I do mention that the one at 125th and Frederick Douglass uh, is a perfectly fine uh, Popeye's. Yeah. Uh, there's no... Um, there's no soda machine. That's a dis- the, 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 <laughs> It really is a disadvantage. Yeah, it yeah, makes yeah. it a less good Popeye. Because yeah, yeah. you, you have the to budge in your soda. Was it a spreadsheet or did you draw yeah, it yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, Oh, good. Okay, I'm good. A professional. Uh, yeah, I'm a professional amateur. Oh, God. My respect grows <laughs> even further. And diminishes. Uh, <laughs> no, so uh, it's, it's somewhere in my Google Drive still. But... Uh, but the the fact that there is the one at 125th and Frederick Douglass mm-hmm. sort of removes a potential unpleasant association from it, I hope. And makes it more specifically about this one franchise than it mm-hmm. makes it about sort of larger associations people yeah. might make. So I, I'm trying to do some work to distance myself from – to make the bit more defensible mm-hmm. as an ethical way. But will at the same time still – Using the facts, hopefully, to, to generate humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then, then the, 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 so that's for the one twenty fifth part. Mm-hmm. And then you were saying the stuff about the the paramedics uh, is also based on a true thing. Mm-hmm. The one at one twenty fifth in Lexington <laughs> is a really it's a bad block. Yeah. And there's a version of this joke I've told at other places where I talk about um, I don't know if you guys know the Velvet Underground too much. Yeah. So, like, uh, for the I'm not going to spend too much time pretending to explain the Velvet Underground to people, but it's a band. Mm. And they have a song. Is on... Tina Fey in it? No. Uh, <laughs> so, Velvet Underground is like a rock band from the 60s. They're great. Check them out. Uh, one of their songs is uh, from that album. It's a well-regarded, like, mm-hmm. band and very well-regarded band. Well-regarded song. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for the band. It's talking about his experience going to Harlem to buy drugs and do drugs. Oh, so, cool. I'm waiting for the man is our... Um, uh, he's the, one of the lyrics in it is up to Lexington one, two, five, mm-hmm. feel sick and dirty, more dead than alive. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the subway stop he's going to yeah. is Lexington one twenty fifth. Yeah. That's the block that Popeye says. <laughs> Do you listen to that on your headphones as you walk there? It's like, <laughs> he's got the works. Give me sweet taste. <laughs> then you got to split because you got no time to waste. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, to some extent, Harlem is gentrifying. <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. So the next one on the list is a bit by Doug Stanhope. I chose it. It is called Farewell Mother. It's a little on the long side. It's going to be like seven or eight minutes. I was pretty blown away by it. I believe I've heard this bit. It's a good bit. Yeah, it's really it's something. Beer Hall Push. Yeah, it's on off of his 2013 album Beer Hall Push. But there is an afterlife, and I, if I can give you any hope in this show, I have definitive proof of an afterlife. I didn't get weird or go religious on you. I'm not saying there's a God. I don't know what the afterlife entails. But here's the proof. My mother killed herself in 2008. Don't worry, this is a fun story. It was the best death you could ever be part of. She was dying of emphysema at 63. Her her brain was still with it, but her she was drowning in her own fluids. She's uh, being permanently waterboarded by 45 years of cool miles. She can't take it anymore. We knew it was going to happen when she made the call. I, I can't do it. I'm like, all right, Ma, uh, we'll do what we can. I like, 
All right, Ma's gonna kill herself. I, I don't know what to do. Like that's okay. We know it's gonna happen, but what? When you say we're gonna do it, I'm not gonna go buy you a fucking shotgun. <laughs> like, oh, have fun, Ma. <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't know what to do. I don't kill people. Like, I, it's just, it's not something. Like I fantasize about it. If my mother were Nancy Grace, I'd have been all over it. Like I have plans, but my mother was a great person, so I. How do we do this right? So I called my lawyer. I have three lawyers. We have, like, we're Jewed up big with lawyers in LA for this shit, all the camera people and recording contracts. Then I have my local Bisbee attorney that helps me with, like, I got married when I was 20 and I had 24 years of marital bliss till I remembered, oh fuck, I never divorced that girl I drunkenly married in Vegas. That's for another DVD. So he. But then we have our third lawyer, who's a comedy fan. He's our, like, wink-wink, nudge-nudge, Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad attorney. That he handles all the creepy shit. Like, when me and Andy are up late at night doing blow and thinking of creepy... Call Kirshner, see how much jail time we could... Could we go to prison if we actually did this? He's that guy. So I called him knowing he'd hook me up with a, a doctor on the down low, as we say, in the black community as a black person. He gave me the number to a uh, doctor, and I go, hey, my mother's going to cash out, and I don't know what to do. He said, what do you have? I go, I got Xanax out the ass. On the border, you can get all the fucking Xanax you want. Uh... He's like, that's no good, that's anti-anxiety. Does she have hospice care? Yeah, she does. Then she should have morphine. Ma, you got morphine? Yeah, I got morphine. All right, she's got morphine. We worked out the dosages and the milligrams, and he goes, if she has 30 of those, that's enough to kill any human being on the planet. She had fucking 90. I'm like, okay, we're good. Okay, we never talked, remember that. Okay, doc. So I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. First of all, bring her to my house because she lived in 300 square feet of hoarder paradise, old electric bills with spider webs all cramped. Like, it's depressing enough if you're going to help your mother kill herself. But we're going to go to my house. We'll tidy up. We'll... So we set her up with a uh, hospital bed in the living room. She had been uh, AA off and on for my whole life. She had, at this point, been four years sober. And I'm like... You're not going to kill yourself sober, right? You can't take those chips with you. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're right. Why would I do that? That's dumb. So she, in her heyday, she was a black Russian drinker. So I set out a mini bottle of Kettle One and a mini bottle of Kahlua with her pills for whenever you're ready, let me know. We laid down ground rules. Uh, I said, Ma, if you're going to kill yourself seriously... Uh, you can't do it on Sunday or Monday because that's football. And that's, that's a dick move. If you can call your own time to leave this planet, don't do it during someone else's planned event. Don't be an asshole. And she did it the Saturday before football. That was great. She came in on Thursday, Saturday night. She goes, it's time. And I'm like time for what like medication no it's time and like oh fuck this is real so i wake up bingo like it's going on we start mixing up white russians she decided to make black russians white russians because she thought the milk would coat her belly better for taking all the pills like mother till the end do you have whole milk i got skim skim will work i just don't want to throw up the pills chicken soup for the suicide <laughs> you're so fucking you're so sweet 
so, so we're whipping up drinks, and I don't, I didn't so much assist the suicide as bar back it. Like I've been doing drinks, because we're all drinking. We watched Bad Santa together, our favorite movie together. She had a very dark sense of humor. My, I didn't come from nowhere. My mother used to review porn on the Man Show. She's fucking dark like us. So we watched Bad Santa, and she's trying to choke down these pills. She had a very hard time taking pills, so she just you know, gagging and just getting them down. So I'm keeping a vague count. When she got around 30, little over, I'm like, Ma, that's good. You don't need to do any more. You're fine. And she said, I don't want to take any chances. She's so scared of fucking up. She took all 90. <laughs> no, we're sitting there in horror going, you're wasting Ma, they said 30 of those would kill any human being alive. You could leave 60 of them for me and Bingo as our only inheritance. The last 17-year-old blind cat you have, Georgia. Yeah, you could have 60 morphines to have spontaneous memorials for mother every here and again. Remember, Mom, Papa Morphine. Woo! What a great lady. What a crazy old bitch. No, hoarder till the end all fucking 90 and then we fucked with her hard I remember her last words as she's coming in and out because we're just goofing on her as she's doing this as she's fading in and out I didn't even know if she'd respond she was just hammering cocktails she's and, and she's laying there half in, half out with a white Russian on her chest that she'd occasionally get to her mouth and it'd spill. You know when you come off the wagon, you hit it fucking hard. And it's pretty bad when you're trying to keep up drinking with an 83-pound, 63-year-old woman. And I go, wow, you're really knocking those back, Ma. And she goes, there's times to be dainty and there's times to be a pig. <laughs> And we all laugh. And this is a mother's problem throughout her life. She was a funny lady sporadically, but when she would get a laugh, she would just hammer it and uh. overtag it and repeat the joke. Like, just keep, I, I can keep getting a laugh off the same joke and it would ruin the joke. And when we all laughed that there's times to be a pig, I saw her go into, she's gonna, and I go, shut your fucking mouth. Those are perfect last words. You're not gonna ruin this joke. Cut the mic on mother. And then we just roasted her as she fell in and out. We just did a Friars Club roast, making fun of her and making Making it a fun, dark suicide. Ma, wait! They found a cure! <laughs> I love you. I was a bad mother. I love you. At one point, I remember uh, I said, uh, Ma, if there's, a, if there's any kind of white light situation, that other side that you get to, if you can communicate with us Houdini style, See if there's any way that you can make the Saints cover eight points at Oakland tomorrow. Because I have money on the game. And they did. The Saints fucking blew them out. October 12, 2008. The Saints won 34 to 3. I'm not saying that's proof of an afterlife. That was just 40 bucks that I won. <laughs> proof of the afterlife is this. If there were no afterlife... How could my mother have bought me and my friends so many nice things 
from the Sky Mall catalog on her credit card four days after she passed from this earth. Answer me that, Your Honor. Answer me that. Enter these credit card receipts into evidence against the advice of my attorney. Look at that. Four days. I had to swear on your Bible just to testify in my own defense. Your silly fake Jesus only lasted three days before he ran out of that cave like a pussy. My mother, four days, relaxing up there. She's drunk eBaying like I do. That last piece of that story has special meaning to me because in my entire career, that's the only chunk of material I've ever had that had a statute of limitations before I could comfortably tell it on stage. Three-year statute for credit card fraud. After that, fuck you. That is fucking great. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 it, I've heard it like six or seven times, and it still tears me up. Yeah, it, it, it's there's so much there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I really, uh, I don't know. I really feel that one. He's yeah. a guy for for uh, being in pain and mm-hmm. handling it in a way where it's electric. Yeah, <sighs> he really like. I mean, the the whole family is something that like so many people are so judgmental about, like family dynamics and like what is like an actually a good relationship with a mother mm-hmm. or a father. He just describes this like such an unconventional relationship and, and, and like, it's just doing all, he's just saying all these things that he was doing with his mother that are so, uh, like, I mean, inappropriate, I guess is the most, you know, I mean, just like shallowly speaking inappropriate and, uh, just bring so much love to them and, and just like, you really feel their relationship in this, like the, the entirety of their relationship, you feel his forgiveness for how, she raised him like if she, it sounds like she she was all apologetic about raising him maybe and making it hard on him as a, ch- a kid and you can you can just feel he doesn't say like and i forgived her for everything or i like we can't wait our differences you know you also don't have to forgive someone for everything to have a relationship with them yeah though, yeah too. that's true yeah it's just really lovely and a, a great it's a it's a i i love at the base of this story is the contrast between, I mean, we don't want our loved ones to die Mm -hmm. and yet he's helping her die. And, and, and that contrast, he found the comedy in that, the the way to laugh within that moment. And I just, I also, I would say, I would, to pile on to your point, Harrison, like mm. their relationship was their relationship. It worked the way their relationship yeah. worked. It wasn't mm. society's relationship. No. It wasn't a mother-son relationship, it, it, quote unquote, cookie cutter thing. It was yeah. their relationship. And yeah. I think uh, what I love about that is that while most of the people listening probably wouldn't have behaved the same as either of them in this scenario, Everyone listening could understand why they would. Yeah. I think with, with Stanhope, there is part of his audience that's like, um, and part of him that's like got a anarchic 
Oh, yeah. And celebration of anarchy. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that it's going to work. I don't think that bit works for everyone. I think there are people for whom that is, that he in general in that bit in particular is mm-hmm. just not going to work for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying every piece of comedy has to work for everyone. And I'll, He's the only comedian we've played on this show where I've gotten negative feedback for playing him. Oh, like in the podcast? In yeah, 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 yeah. I could, I could see that being a person who turned people off mm-hmm. in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he would, I think he'd be bummed out if he had a joke that everyone liked. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I'm his, wrong about that's that. Not his, mm-hmm. That's not his way. No. Uh, but what I, I love is that this is, to me, I, I, I've never seen a better... I've never heard a better example of honest sadness working so well and to such a deep degree. Yeah. I mean, and to, to be able to take that particular experience on stage in front of all those people and get them to laugh with him. I mean, I, I don't know. There are parts where I want to cry with him and then, then there, then there, then he releases that tension yeah. and yeah. I am, am busting up laughing. And then again, I'm, I'm back in that moment. Uh, and I mean, it's not every comedian who can uh, rub our noses in our mortality like that. Yeah. It's really hard to talk about vulnerable and dark stuff. And there's so many ways where an audience can, can disengage. And it's, uh, it has to, it's, uh, it's it's uh, tricky. Yeah, if you can do it, it's an example where it's one of the ways in which uh, shared pain ameliorates it. Mm. Yeah, and just like shared shared joy enhances it. And and I, I it's one of my favorite parts of comedy. I mean, like God, like there's so many pieces here where his fantastic word choice is great. I didn't assist her so much as bar back her suicide. That's a good one. Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, when he, um, very easy, very, he shows and does not tell her be, still being mother. Um, and then he tells yeah. where he's like, I, I want to, I don't even, I don't drink white Russians, but I will this time. Cause I want it to coat my stomach. So I don't make a mess for you. Yeah. Uh, still being sweet mother yeah. Yeah, to the yeah. very end. Do you have whole milk? Do you have skim? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that, and there's some of that that's like it's a very universal mother experience mm-hmm. where she's caring about the thing that's unimportant yeah yes and it's irritating how much she cares yeah right yeah and it, and it comes out of just that intense only a mother can love this way kind yeah. of thing yeah i'm only i'm watching it now by the way with my sister and her and her twins her young twins and i'm just like i finally am really seeing up close all everything a mother does yeah uh and i'm just like blown away at like how much i took for granted yeah of, uh, that my mom did <laughs> every little teeny tiny thing she taught me yeah and the painstaking patience that she had uh for years to teach me all those things i, I and i i mean i'm only just starting to really get it i, I, I feel stupid like oh yeah yeah, yeah moms yeah oh the, t- the time I'm going through in my life right now is I realized something about me and my mom's relationship, which was, uh, um, I just feel like, uh, so these things started happening and I got fired from my job and, um, and then me and my girlfriend broke up and we were living together and the stuff was happening. And, and, and before that, like for a month, 
me and my mom were not on good terms. Mm. We were, we were, uh, I was like, we were on the phone one time and she was just like, I, she was like, I don't even, I feel like you're acting not yourself. And, and I don't like, you don't feel like my son right now. And that was, you know, that was before all this happened. And then I just like called her and it's just like, it didn't matter what we were going through before this. All she, all she felt was like, I need like my kid to be okay. Like more than anything. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we sorry, were getting honest sadness. Sorry, sorry. We're nailing honest sadness <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, that just, that whole relationship, it's not, me and my mom's relationship is not like that, but, uh, it just, I, I, those stories always warm my heart cause they mm. just, yeah, we, we, all we have is each other, our friendships and our families. And like when we really need them, they come out and they, they support us and we support them. And just, uh, it was tough to, <laughs> tough to listen to, but really great. Oh, uh, and then. I, I, there's so many things I love in this. Um, when he gets mad at her for being a hoarder, yeah. down to the last moment, and he makes the big deal out of the sixty extra morphine pills. Yeah, it's yeah. so classically like yeah. sort of sort of uh, selfish son irritated at, uh, at, at mom's behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, it's, how do you, uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or the moment where he, she's dying and the expectation is the expectation that we have is sadness is somber, solemn. And instead they roast her the whole way through <laughs> mom. We found a cure. And she says that line, that uh um there's times to be dainty and there's times to be a pig yeah and then he gets and he's like no <laughs> those yeah, are, yeah. those are that's a perfect last words yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, and that that contrast yeah, between the expectation of how this should go quote unquote yeah and the way that he handles it uh-huh. um very powerful gives us access it's to your point it's 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 controlled and shaped honest sadness that if you're open to it uh is is can be an exquisite kind of laughter. Yeah. There's also the thing of like when an, one of my friends is fond of saying uh, the opposite of, uh, I'm not sure where he got it or he may have come up with it. But he says sometimes the opposite of laughter isn't silence. It's chatter. Right? Mm. Like when an audience is really quiet, that's a good sign. Yeah. Because it's you have them. Yeah. They're listening. Yeah. And then you can, use that Mm -hmm. yeah i remember the first time that happened to me i was doing a set i was living in san francisco and i was telling a story and it was it became so silent in a giant room full of people and i i got it totally threw me i was really scared it was i you could you couldn't hear anything i couldn't hear anything but the sound of my own breath and when i got off i was really shaken by it yeah. And uh, a much more experienced comedian, I was just like, man, I, that was really weird. I don't know. They were really quiet. And he, go, he goes, you fool. They were listening. Yeah. They were yeah. dying to know what you had to say next. I'd never had that experience. It, it's deafening. Yeah. And I, and, and I think, um, uh, yeah, you can learn how to use that. I love when a room is like not that loud and then it gets quiet within that. Mm-hmm. At like... Oh, they, I thought they were quiet, but now they're quiet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. love it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, 
last thing I want to say on this um, is uh, I really I like how he established up front this ridiculous proof of the afterlife thing, mm-hmm. how he folded it, that he, he encased it in this made you think for a moment that him winning the saints game was his proof of the afterlife made fun of the fact that they might've thought that. And then at the end, it's all about how he ran up her credit cards afterwards. Uh, I mean, it's just, that's such mastery to me right there. It definitely, it's stronger because he says it up top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> silly fake Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. mother's <laughs> stronger than <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. This next clip, Harrison picked. Harrison, is there anything you'd like to say up front? Yeah, I love this clip. This is something, um, it's uh, Mike Barbiglia um, calling in to uh, a show called Bob and Tom, which is a radio program, a national radio program. And he's memorializing uh, the great Mitch Hedberg, um, who uh, who passed when this was uh, recorded. And they were friends, right? They were friends. Mike Birbiglia opened for him um, for a while. Um, it's a story of how they first met and how Birbiglia was starstruck and then just like how Mitch was as a person. I think he just articulates it really wonderfully. All right. Um, anybody need to cry before we start? <laughs> okay, good. This week's Secret Public Journal is dedicated to my friend and comedic hero, Mitch Hedberg, who died last week. I feel at a loss eulogizing someone I looked up to so much, but Mitch treated all comics the same. It didn't matter if it was Dave Attell or someone who'd been doing comedy three days. If you didn't know Mitch, he was a comedian who had uh, long hair over his eyes and wore sunglasses and looked down at the floor and delivered brilliant lines like, I think foosball is a cross between soccer and shish kebab. (laughs) (laughs) I used to do drugs. I still do, but I used to too. (laughs) To call him a one-liner comic would be a disservice to the strong connection he made with his audience. To Mitch, his jokes were like his children. Some of them were accomplished, some of them weren't. Some of them didn't even make a lot of sense, but he loved them all equally. He just loved jokes. When people didn't laugh, he'd pause a second and he'd go, all right, that joke was ridiculous. (laughs) I think some people misunderstood Mitch. They'd go, what is he doing? He's lying on the floor, he's walking behind the curtain. But that was all part of it. He rode the line of what people considered a show, so no two shows were the same. He was the Iggy Pop of comedy. He was a rock star. He sold out 2,000-seat theaters without having a sitcom. So he was this beacon of hope for real comics that you didn't have to move to Hollywood to become a comedy star. When I started doing The Road five years ago, I found out that I'd be opening for Mitch in Dayton, Ohio, and I couldn't believe it. I was struggling to get by as a road comic, so I had that date circled in my calendar for months. So I show up at the club, and they ask me if I'll pick up Mitch in my car and bring him to the club, and I was in shock. First, because Mitch Hedberg was going to ride my car, and second, that Mitch Hedberg rides in cars at all. I always kind of envisioned him riding in a spaceship or just kind of teleporting onto stage. <laughs> so I was really taken aback when I, I picked him up, and he and his wife, Lynn, treated me like an old friend. So we do the show, and later in the week, I ask them if they want to go bowling, because I had my bowling shoes there. <laughs> and uh, so we go bowling, and I'm, real, I'm very rattled. I'm so rattled that I'm bowling with Mitch Hedberg that I'm awful. I'm rolling all kinds of ones and threes, what? and I'm so embarrassed. And at the end, Mitch says to me, when you said that you want to go bowling, 
I thought that you would be good at bowling. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're waiting in line to pay, and there are these teenage girls next to us in line. And so to embarrass me, he goes, do you think he's cute? And they go, he's all right. And then his wife, Lynn, comes over and uh, talks to Mitch privately. And then Mitch comes back and goes, Lynn says I should apologize for embarrassing you. Uh-huh. And then there was a pause, and I go, Mitch, you didn't actually apologize. You just said you're supposed to. And he was like, ha, ah, good one. <laughs> that night, Mitch was on stage, and in the middle of the set, he goes, Oh, no, i got to go to the bathroom. Can someone come on stage and tell a joke? And there was this long, gaping silence. And then and then he's like, I'm serious, you guys. i gotta, I really got to go. And it's still silent. I mean, no one's ever seen anything like this in a show. And so I'm backstage with Lynn, and, and I'm like, are you going to go up? And she was like, will you go? And I was like, all right. So I walk on the stage, and he doesn't know I'm there because his eyes are closed. And I go, Mitch, I'm here. And he goes, oh, thank Thanks, man. And he walks off like this is just like an everyday thing. <laughs> and then the audience is looking at me, and I'm looking at the audience, and we're all just laughing at the sheer absurdity of the situation. So I just look down at the floor, and I go, I'm pretty good at tennis, but I will never be as good as the wall. The wall is relentless. <laughs> There's a jar of jelly beans at the state fair that says, guess how many, and you win the job. I was like, come on, man, let me just have some. <laughs> so then Mitch comes back, and he's laughing, and he goes, oh, man, you did my best jokes. <laughs> I was never quite sure if Mitch and I were friends, because he never said a lot. He rarely talked about himself at all, but I just felt lucky to be around him. Whenever he spoke, I just listened real hard, and... When I was opening for him on the Comedy Central Live Tour, he offered to come to New York City for the release of my CD at the comic strip. I kept giving him an out so that he didn't feel obliged to do it, but he insisted on it. So he flew himself to New York, and he performed on two shows for nothing. I offered to pay him, and he kept refusing. He just gave me a hug and walked out the door, and that was it. The late booker for the comic strip named Lucian Hold commented that what amazed him most about Mitch was that he had his eyes closed on stage, yet he had the most profound connection with the audience. He didn't see the audience. He felt the audience. There are all kinds of great stories about Mitch, about how some fans had driven six hours to see him, and uh, so he got them a hotel room, and how George Carlin was once in the audience for one of his shows and said, that blind guy is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) How he he once paid for a sold-out audience in Pittsburgh to all have shots of tequila. This week I have emailed with so many people who are crushed by Mitch's death. I've spoken to people who never met Mitch personally and can't help but start crying in the middle of their day. I feel the same way. It's overwhelming. It's, it's so sad to lose someone who made so many people happy. On New Year's Eve, I was, I was on an elevator in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and this guy goes, I know you. You're that guy on Comedy Central who does that joke about dizzy chickens. And I go, no, that's Mitch Hedberg. And he was like, oh, yeah, you're good, too. But that guy's the best. And I was like, yeah, he is. And that concludes my secret public journal. Yeah, I just really love that memorialization. 
I love that he's also honest. He's like, I didn't, I didn't know if we were friends or not, but yeah. just, but it sounds like everything he was saying. It just sounds like they. Had but Bigley is really good at being earnest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really is. I, I think that so often we don't want to feel sadness, and so we push it away. Yeah, and yet, beautiful things can happen when we embrace it. By the way, a tantric approach to sadness, like when you are sad, oh, you're so sad. Yeah, yeah. You're like edging with sadness. Oh my god! <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, hold on a second. What? <laughs> you're pushing it away. Like he's like you're about to be sad, and you're like, no, not yet. No, no, no. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna be. That's your. You're like sting, but for crying. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, I, I feel you. I think that's the opposite of what I was saying. Oh, okay. I'm um, sorry. So uh, the tantric approach, as you say, the edging approach is where the sadness starts to come toward you and you're about to feel it all the way and then you stop and you therefore prolong it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it nev- you never uh, reach the crest of that sadness and then fall spill then over the to the other side. But then it's I guess. Yes, crygasm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what I was saying is simply... That so often we want to push it away because we don't want to feel it, not because we want to have it exquisitely be mm. <laughs> uh, greater and longer. I agree yeah. with you that yeah. that is, in fact, what we are trying to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, but what I love about, what I love that we're able to do with honest sadness or sad honesty in comedy is that it gives us this way to embrace it all the way. Uh, to 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 face and feel the darker parts of of who we are as mortal beings, as things that will wear out and die, and and that that will happen all around us. And I I, I don't know. There aren't uh there are lots of different avenues into that. You know, religion does that for some people. Um, you know, it, it, just sitting around a campfire can do it. But I love that comedy can bring a whole group of strangers that don't believe the same things together to do that yeah i like that too it's neat yeah yeah um <laughs> anyway yeah i just i don't know i i feel it's not stand up but it's a you know it's a good articulation it's a good, it's a good eulogy yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay well um i think all of us are gonna uh take a little bit of my will butrin uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we'll call it wrap <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> come on let's talk about sex all right. A huge thanks to our guest, Jay Welch. He's a gentleman and a true scholar. And this was uh, a heck of a, an experience for me. Yeah. Thank you so much. You can check out Jay on Twitter. That is at Welch J. That's W-E-L-C-H-J-A-Y. Also, please join me in thanking Doug Stanhope, Karen Kilgariff, and Mike Birbiglia mm-hmm. for their unwitting contributions. And as always... <laughs> A, a huge cuddle puddle of love and thanks to Salt and Peppa for leaving the law out of our fair use relationship. Sets! Sets! Sets!